0: So good to see you all in church today. We are glad that you are here. If you have your Bible, would you take it on out? If you need a Bible, raise your hands. I want to welcome all of our locations, our online and television audience. We are glad that everyone is here to hear a word from God. Take your Bible out with me. Hold it up nice and high. Let's all make this declaration of our faith together. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be... All that he has created me to be, amen and amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to the book of Esther, the book of Esther. Some of you may just prefer to look at the screen because you don't know how to find that in your Bible. The book of Esther, I'm just playing with you all, all right? Esther chapter number four, if you have your Bible, Esther four, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, then Esther spoke to Hathak. And gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's providences know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king, who has not been called, he has but one law. Put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think that your heart, that in your heart that you will escape Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink these three days and nights. My minds, my, my maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. And then, of course, our feature text for this series, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one. Again, it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Today we are continuing in our series, Unhindered, where we are learning how to get rid of the weights, the pulls, the things that are keeping us bound, and the sin that does so easily ensnare us, hinder us, prevent us from running the race that God has set before us. And as we continue in this series, today I want to talk to you about dropping the weight of past pain, dropping the weight of past pain. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. We thank you for revelation. We thank you for understanding of your word and wisdom and guidance in the Holy Ghost. We pray that he would be our guide, our teacher, our leader into all truth. We open our hearts wide to receive everything that you have for us in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Past pain has a way of showing up in our present and robbing us of our future, doesn't it? We don't want it to, we try not to let it, we develop tough exteriors to mask it, coping mechanisms to deal with it, but sometimes, no matter how hard we try, Past pain can keep us in a present prison that prevents us from enjoying our promised future. And God has a great future in store for each and every one of us. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But pain can get in the way, it can imprison us, it can become the thing that kind of swallows us up and prevents us from seeing all the goodness and blessing around us and going into the future that God has for us. And this was really the story of so many in history. For instance, Queen Victoria, many of you may know her. She reigned as England's sovereign for 63 years. She defined an era in history known as the Victorian age. On February the 10th, 1840, she married Prince Albert. Five days after he arrived at Windsor Castle and she proposed to him. And she was madly in love with him and they had nine children, but they were all. Only married for 21 years because Prince Albert died of typhoid fever. The queen never recovered. She turned his room into a shrine. She had the linens on his bed changed every single day. She slept with his nightshirt in her arms and rarely left the palace and only wore black for the rest of her life. The pain of her past imprisoned her in our present, prevent her from enjoying her future, even though she was living in a palace. And I think that famous Peanuts cartoon strip kind of captures how the past can imprison us the best. In this one cartoon strip, you know Charlie Brown is pitching and and Lucy is in the outfield and um the ball gets popped up to Lucy and and she's got it lined up and she she looks like she's going to catch it and it's the game winning out but at the very last second it drops to the ground and they lose the game and she goes into the pitcher's mound and she explains the whole thing to Charlie Brown. She said she said I really really thought I had that one. But at the very last moment, the past got in my eyes, and I remembered all the ones they had dropped before. That's what can happen to us in life. The past can get in our eyes. It can prevent us from enjoying our present and the future that God has for us. And this could have been Esther's story. Esther's story was a life that didn't start off that well. Esther's story was filled with pain at the onset of our life. And in Esther chapter 2, verse number 5 through verse number 7, we're given three short verses that really capture the pain of her beginning. Listen to it. It says, in Shushan the citadel there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai the son of Jair the son of Shemai the son of Kish a Benjamite Kish "...had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jecoina, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, or that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter." As a young girl Esther lost not just one parent but both parents and she was going to be orphaned and her uncle Mordecai stepped in and adopted her. Her country was overthrown in war and she's uprooted from the place that she knew. She becomes a slave in the kingdom of Persia with so many other Jewish people. She has experienced the death of her parents. She has lived through war and the horrors and tragedies associated with living through war. She is adopted. She has to deal with The challenges of that, she is ripped away from our nation, from our culture, everything that gives her an identity and comfort, and she is placed in a strange land, a foreign land, as a slave. I'm not sure that you could script much more pain than that. But suddenly, out of nowhere, through a series of providential events, Esther becomes queen of Persia. And you can imagine what's going through our mind. Finally, A good break. Finally, some good fortune has come my way. After all that I've been through, I'm going to enjoy the privileges of palace life and leave my past pain behind me, if it was only that simple. If only a good break, if only some good fortune could cause all of the past pain to be swallowed up and for us to move on in life. But Queen Victoria's life shows us that you can have everything. You can live in a palace, you can be a queen. I mean, think of all the people in history who seemingly had everything, but they were stuck in their pain. Robin Williams, Tom Petty, Bob Sanger, Howard Hughes, and the list goes on and on and on. People who had everything. Millionaires, billionaires, castles, cars, houses, you know, everything you can imagine, trips, money in the bank, but yet they were stuck in this place of pain. Well, meanwhile, as Esther is enjoying palace life, her uncle Mordecai and a man named Haman have this conflict. About four years after Esther becomes queen, our uncle Mordecai has run in or run in with the prime minister of Persia. His name is Haman. Haman was a proud man. He, he, was, he was jealous for the crown. He wanted to become king and, and, and he walked around. He wanted everybody to treat him not like he was king, but like he was God. And so he wanted everybody to bow down before him and he would ride through the streets and everyone was expected to do this. And of course, Mordecai being a devout Jew would not bow down down to anybody but God. And this infuriated Haman. And so Haman comes up with this diabolical plot in order to kill Mordecai and all of the Jewish people. And Mordecai, he didn't refuse to bow down because he was being rebellious. Matter of fact, rebellion was the furthest thing from his heart. Uh, A few years prior to that, unbeknownst to the king, Mordecai had actually awarded a death threat against the king. The king never found out about it, but it was written in the records of the king, and so it wasn't that he was a rebellious guy, it was that he loved the Lord, and he wouldn't bow down to anybody else, and so this infuriated Haman, and he comes up with this plan, and he consults with the psychics of his time, because he was a very superstitious man, and they picked this date, and on this date, they're going to execute all the Jews, including Mordecai, really just get back at him for not bowing, down before him but in order for him to do this he's got to get the approval of the king and so he goes to the king and he tricks the king he gets the king drunk and he, he hands him an edict and he gets him to sign it while he's drunk while he doesn't have his faculties about it and now he's ready to carry out this plan and the news of course travels all around and it gets back to Mordecai and Mordecai is in distress and he. and so what he decides to do is he's going to reach out to his niece Esther she's now the queen he's going to ask her Can you petition the king? Can you ask the king to reverse the edict? And of course, at first, Esther says, well, I can't do that because you can't go into the king's inner chambers unless you are invited. And I haven't been invited there for 30 days. And if I go in uninvited, I'm going to be killed unless he holds out the golden scepter to me. And it's with that that Mordecai gives Esther some life-changing advice, some life-changing truth about how to drop the weight of past pain, we read it, Esther chapter number 4, verse number 13, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do you not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, yet who knows, whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Translation, could it be that everything that you've been through has been preparation for this moment in time. Could it be that the pain that should have killed you is being providentially repurposed to work for you instead of against you? Could it be that your life of misfortune is not evidence that God was absent or uncaring or unjust but rather because he chose you from your mother's womb to mark history and so hell put an assignment on your head. Could it be that although the pain of your past is preventing you or pre? was preventing you from seeing the reality of God, that the truth of the matter is that God's fingerprints are all over your life. By the way, that's the story of Esther, by the way, that Esther is the only book in the Bible that God's not mentioned one time. The name of God is not mentioned. It mentions things like they prayed and they fasted, but it never says they prayed and they fasted to God. And when you read through all the other books in the Bible, God is specifically named. Do you remember what David? He goes before you know Saul and Goliath, and he says, "He says, uh, you know, God is going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands." And you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Our God is able. God is specifically mentioned. But when you go to the book of Esther, Esther's book never mentions God once, but yet his fingerprints are all over the book. They're undeniable. In the story, he is the unseen mastermind that is manipulating the moving parts. He is the champion chess player that is carefully guiding the circumstances. He is the force that can't be seen but is fighting for his kids behind the scenes. He is the one who in secret is guiding the steps of his servants by his sovereign hand. He is the hidden help that is there for those that appear helpless. Could it be... Mordecai is saying that your pain, which may have caused God to become a forgotten part of your life, it really has is a story of God's fingerprints all over your life. You see, sometimes when we think that God has abandoned us, that God has left us, that he's disinterested in our deliverance, that he's walked away, that he's turned a deaf ear or decided to take his hands off of us. The fact of the matter is, if we look back on our life, we can see the fingerprints of God all over our life and when we look into the story of Esther we see that God is really very involved although he seems absent that he's really very near although he sees seems distant. That although he, they, his kids, Esther and the children of Israel on his mind all the time, although they thought they were forgotten by God. If we only knew how much God loved us, if we only knew the breadth, the height, the depth, and the width of the love of God, not three dimensions, but four dimensions, if we only knew that nothing that we do or nothing that comes against us can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not angels, not demons, not things present, Nothing's past, nothing's to come. Nothing can separate us from the love. If we only knew, we would be able to drop the weight of past pain by realizing what this story is telling us and what our main text tells us, that God is the author of our story. Remember what Hebrews 12, 2 says. It says, looking on to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, And when you see God as your author, it helps you to drop the weight of past pain. How so? Well, first of all, you reframe your past. What does that mean? It means simply taking control of how we perceive what has happened to us. It's the story that we tell ourselves. When it comes to your past, your explanations are more important than your experiences, Let me say that again. When it comes to your past, your explanations, what you tell yourself is more important than your experiences. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, in the story, are you a victim or are you a victor? In the story, are you the injured party or are you the overcomer? In the story, are you the wounded or are you the victorious warrior? Said another way, if you don't own your past, your past will own you. Pastor, are you saying that we should fabricate what has happened to us? No, no, no. I'm just saying that you ought to look through a different lens. You ought to look through the lens of faith and see God as the author of your story. And that is what Mordecai is telling Esther to do. He was saying, you are in this position, not by accident, but you're in this position because God has authored your story and if she were to look back she would see that God wrote a story about somebody who overcame even when the odds were against her how else do you explain how an orphan slave girl who lost her father and her mother when she was just a t- child lived in a foreign land where her people were looked down or became queen that is too many hurdles to be happenstance, that is too many odds to overcome, that is too many things to conquer to be coincidence see what we need to understand is the The enemy of our soul, who is the source of our pain, doesn't want us to hear this, but when you make it to the other side of all the odds that are against you, that is the hand of God authoring your story in your life. (laughs) Mordecai was telling Esther, he's authored a story where he has removed all the obstacles that are standing in your way. Do you think, Esther, it's coincidence that all of a sudden... Persia needs a queen. All of a sudden, the queen, Vashti, resigns and there's an open door of opportunity. Can I tell you that God knows how to move out of the way, the things that are standing in your way. And when a good break, when an open door, when an opportunity suddenly shows up in your life, that is evidence that God's fingerprints are all over your life, that he's authoring your story. Esther, he's authoring a story where he Told you or shows you, he's designed you for your destiny. Do you think it's a coincidence that of all of the women in the land, Esther becomes one of the seven finalists to be the queen, and she wasn't even trying. She wasn't politicking. You know what? It's God. See, a lot of people get places because they politic for it. A lot of people seize opportunity. And I'm not saying there aren't times where you shouldn't seize opportunity. But a lot of people, the only reason why they're interested in anything is that, well, I need to get right in here to see how I can make a good connection for me. But when you ain't even trying, when you're just stumbling into stuff, when doors are just opening for you, that is God designing your destiny for you. Esther wasn't even trying to become queen. She's one of the seven finalists. And here's the thing, all the other six finalists were given 12 months of beauty treatments and us to refuse any help. Matter of fact, look at this here scripture. It says each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed twelve months of preparation, according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation apportioned: six months with oil and myrrh, six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Thus prepared, each young woman uh, who went into the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the woman's quarters to the king's palace. Now when it was the turn, now when the turn came for Esther. How many of you know when it's your turn? When it's your appointed time? How many of you know you don't need anything but what God gave you? God designed you for your purpose. Esther was beautiful from the day that she was created and she wasn't beautiful so that she could just, you know, be, look good in the world's eyes. She was beautiful because God knew that in order for her to To fulfill her destiny, she had to stand out above everybody else. So Esther said, no, I don't need a mani-pedi. Esther said, no, I don't need no liposuction. Esther said, you know what, I don't need no Botox. I'm going in with what God gave me. Because when it is your turn, when God opens up a door for you, and you weren't even trying to see it happen, I want you to know that is evidence that his fingerprints are all over your life, and he's authoring your story. Matter of fact, Mordecai would say, Esther, the evidence that he's authoring your story is seeing that your story is a story of a solution and not a slave. Let me put it to you this way. The beauty contest was not the king's idea. It was the idea of his advisors, i.e. God's idea that he dropped in their heart. God already knew who the fairest in the land was, because God designed Esther for her destiny, knowing that the children of Israel would need a deliverer. Esther was the providence of God in action. What is providence, pastor? Well, it comes from two words. The first word is pro. It means before. The second word is video. It means to see. And so providence means to see before it happens, But it goes a little deeper than that. It literally means to see a problem in advance and put a solution in place before the problem is actually known. In other words, God saw Haman's hate for the Jewish people in advance. God saw how Haman would get the king drunk and trick him into issuing an edict to exterminate the Jews. God saw the date on the devil's calendar where he would do his dirty work and destroy God's people. God saw it in advance. I don't know if you're hearing me. God saw it in advance. And so God decided to put a solution in place before the problem even existed. And the solution's name was Esther. Matter of fact, when you read the scripture, God is called El-Rohi, which means the God who sees. He's called Jehovah-Jireh, which means the God who sees in advance and provides. God saw the problem before the problem even even existed and put a solution in place. God doesn't create answers after we have a problem. God sees the problem, puts an answer in place before it exists, and then allows us, by His sovereign hand, to walk into the solution. And when you read the story of Esther, what Mordecai is trying to tell her is, is, Esther, you're here for such a time as this. This is God." Authoring your story. You need to reframe your past. You need to take control of what has happened to you. Your explanation is more important than your experience. You have a choice. Your choice is to look at this through the lens of pain or to look at this through the lens of providence. Your choice is to focus on what happened to you or your choice is to focus on the fact that you overcame everything that the enemy put in your life and God has authored your story. But not only that, when you see God as the author of your story, you redefine your themes. C.S. Lewis said this. He said every person is composed of a few themes. Those themes become the subplots of your life and they undergird everything you do. There are always two themes working in our lives, two stories that are vying for preeminence, God's and the enemies And the themes we accept determine the story we experience. So in Esther's life, the enemy's theme, you're an orphan. You're abandoned. You're unwanted you're unloved. God's theme, you were adopted. You were selected. You were chosen. You were picked. You were embraced. The enemy's theme, you are broken. You have no father. You have no mother. You are hated. You are rejected. God's theme, you are beautiful. You are created. You are handcrafted. You are my workmanship. You are designed for your destiny. The enemy's theme, you are a slave, sends to a life of being treated as less than. God's theme, you are solution. You are an answer. You are a different maker. You are a history changer. You are a miracle to many. The enemy's theme. You will always have the odds stacked against you. God's theme. You are an overcomer. The pain of our past has a way of assigning to us a theme that can, if we allow it to, give us an inferior identity which leaves us, if accepted, imprisoned in our past. Prevents us from experiencing our present and enjoying our future. But we need to redefine our themes. We need to look back at the handiwork of God and see it from the perspective of heaven and not the perspective of the enemy. You have to look back with providence. We can all do this. In my life, my parents got divorced. One of the most painful moments of my life. I remember I'm praying, I'm in my room, I'm crying when I found the news and I heard the audible voice of God. My theme, God's voice guides me in my pain. When my best friend betrayed me and I lost everything, And as a result of that, God brought a book out. God brought songs out that literally have reached and touched tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people. My theme, God always works things out for my good. When the enemy tried to destroy my family and I stood in the gap and I prayed, my theme, God restores all things better than they were before. When I had to work four jobs to put food on my table and diapers on my kids' bottoms, my God now has provided abundantly my theme. God is faithful to his promises despite what it looks like. We all have a choice. We can choose our themes. We can reframe our past. We can can redefine our themes. We can see God as the author of our story or we can be a tragedy that has happened in life. We have a choice. Are you the victor? Are you the victim? Are you the one who has all these odds against you? Are you the one who has overcome? Listen, everybody, everybody has their own pain. There's some people who think pain is unique to them. Everybody has your own pain. It's the way that you deal with it that determines whether your pain imprisons you or becomes a platform for God to use in your life. Notice, though, our text, our main text, doesn't just say that when we want to drop the weight or the sin to look to Jesus, the author of our faith, it says the author and finisher of our faith. Second key to dropping the pain of your past. See God as your finisher. Haman has tricked the king into issuing an edict to execute all the Jewish people. Esther has become queen. The date is set for the execution. Haman has built the gallows. Mordecai, who has previously put down a plan to kill the king that the king doesn't even know about, has found out about Haman's plot or plan, and he sent word to Esther to petition the king to reverse the edict. Esther initially says, I can't because if I go in uninvited, I will be killed. But Mordecai says, you're here for such a time as this. God is authoring your story. Pastor says you're right. Let's all pray about it. And if I die, I die. In other words, we are going to put this in God's hands. By the way, can I tell you? Put your circumstance in God's hands. That is the safest place for your circumstances to be, knowing that the hands of God are hands of mercy, they're hands of of compassion, their hands of care, their hands of healing, their hands that change things. Put your situation in God's hands. Pray about it. That's how you put it in God's hands. They said, Esther said, everybody go pray. Everybody go, go fast. By the way, when I was putting this together, God gave me what I think is a marvelous definition of prayer. Prayer is believing God is not finished and that God is a finisher. Let me say it again. Prayer is believing God is not finished and God is a finisher. Why else would you pray? If the circumstances were always going to be the way they were, why would you pray? But we pray because we believe God's not finished. God's writing this story. We're not going to get stuck on a chapter here. We're going to put this in the hands of God. God's not finished, and God is a finisher. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is James chapter 5, verse 11. Listen to what it says, and I'll read it from a couple of versions. It says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. Everybody knows Job's story, right? Lost everything, sick, kids died, lost all of his fortune, the whole nine years. We have heard of the patience of Job. And what's this. And have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The New American Standard says, behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. James chapter 5 verse 11 in the NIV. And you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The new King James. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord. What's the point? Don't get stuck in the pain. God's not finished. Pray for the outcome that God intended. Pray for God's plan to overshadow the enemy's pain. Pray for God to unfold the next chapter of the story. Prayer. It believes God's not finished and God is a finisher. So how does the story end? Esther goes into the king uninvited. Instead of issuing an order to execute her, he holds out the golden scepter and he invites her to ask for anything she wants up to hasten. Up to half the kingdom. Now, sometimes we just read over these stories, and, and and maybe one day I'll I'll get into every one of these stories and just show you Jesus in every one of these stories. But but here's a glimpse of Jesus. See, we don't understand. In in this case, in this one scene, the king represents Jesus. In this one scene, in the story, Esther represents us. She goes into the king's chambers uninvited. What should happen to her? She ought to die. Because any time you go into the king's chambers uninvited, unqualified, you get put to death. What uninvites us? What doesn't qualify us to stand before God? It is the sin that is against our soul. And if you and I go into the throne room, into the presence of God, With sin against our soul, we deserve death. But because of Jesus, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And you remember what God says to us because of Jesus? He says this, he says, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Asking, you will receive; that your joy may be full. Matthew seven seven. Asking, it will be given. You seeking, you shall find. Knocking, the door shall be opened unto you. This is this is this is, the, this is the 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 story of Jesus hidden in the Old Testament. She walks in. He holds out the golden scepter. He says, "Whatever you want, up to half the kingdom." The difference between that and us is, God says, "My good pleasure to give you the entire kingdom, everything that I have." Can be yours because of what Jesus did. So she goes in. He says, "What? What? What do you want me to do for you?" Esther says, can, "Can you come for dinner? I want to make I want to make you a nice dinner. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. You heard that before, right? The fatter your man is, the more you love him. I'm just playing." She says, "Can you come to a dinner? Can? By the way, can you bring Haman with you?" I want you both to come. I want to cook a nice meal for you. They come. She feeds them all real good. Everybody's real happy. And the king reminds her of the promise. He says, by the way, remember I told you I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. Isn't it amazing how many times God reminds us to ask him for things? Over and over again in Scripture, he's reminding us. And so many times in life, we do without simply because we we don't ask. We have not because we ask not. We serve a big God. We serve a wonderful Christ who on the cross paid the price so that everything that the father has to offer can be ours and yet we don't ask and so he says you know I I said I'll give you anything she said can you come back tomorrow can you come back I want to cook you another meal and can you bring Haman with you the king goes home Haman is getting impatient he wants to kill the Jewish people and so he decides to build these gallows, get them done, get them out of the way. And he decides, I need to expedite this. I know the date has been set for next year, but I need to expedite this. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the king again, and I'm going to ask the king to to speed this whole thing up. And it just so happens, it's the middle of the night. And it just so happens that the king cannot sleep that particular night. And as some bedtime reading, how many of you know sometimes when you read before, well, you know when you're in bed, you get sleepy. So the king says, Can somebody bring me something to read? And it just so happens that they bring him the annals of the king's records. And it just so happens that he opens up to the page where it was recorded that Mordecai had saved his life. Just so happened. Can I tell you before your problem arises, God has a solution in place for you. And so the king reads this. He never knew what Mordecai did before. Haman shows up at the door. He's the prime minister. He's the right-hand man of of the king. And the king says, hey, Haman, good to see you. Before you tell me what you're here for, I just got to ask you a question. What do you think I should do for a guy who did all this for me? And he begins to tell him all these wonderful things that this person has done for him. And Haman is sticking his chest out. He's thinking, oh, he's talking about me. Haman thinks, "Oh, he just—he—he—he's just asking me to pick my own blessing." And so Haman says, "Well, you ought to do this, and you ought to do that, and you ought to do the other thing, and you ought to give him a chariot, and you ought to make him walk around, and you ought to make him ride through the city, and everybody bow down before him, and you ought to give him a palace, and you ought to give him—you uh, know—all this. money. You ought to do all these wonderful things." And the king is listening, and he goes, "He goes, yeah, I want you to go do that for Mordecai." come on somebody can I tell you what happens when you believe that God is not finished he will make even your enemies bless you he will take the stuff that was meant to hurt you and he will repurpose it and it will bless you and so goes out and has to do all this blessing they come back the next day and uh, when they come back the next day to the, to the next meal um, Esther is before the king and the king says, Hey Esther, half the kingdom, what do you want? She says, well, King, here's what I want to do. I want you to reverse the edict that you signed to the Jewish people. And she says, here's what happened. My uncle Mordecai would not bow down before Haman. Haman was taking your place, king. He was trying to make everybody think that he was you, that he was God. He was asking everybody to bow down. And Mordecai, my uncle, would not bow down before him. And so because of that, Haman came into you, got you drunk, tricked you into signing this edict, and now I'm asking you to reverse it. And what does the king say? he says I want you to now hang uh, Haman on the same gallows that he built for the Jews Edict reversed. what am I telling you I'm telling you that the finish that God has in store for you is amazing that God will turn everything that the enemy meant for evil around for your good don't you dare think that that which has been sown in tears will be for the rest of your years God is not finished don't you th- dare think that that what seemed fatal is final. God is not finished. Don't you dare think that what came to destroy you is your destiny. God is not finished. Don't you dare think. the enemy has taken from you will be your story. It will be used for God's glory. God is not finished. He's not finished in your life. And if you need proof of this, what better proof than Jesus on the cross? The enemy thought he won, but on that cross, guess what Jesus yelled? He said, it is finished. God's about ready to yell in your life. God's about ready to pronounce. Some things over your life, but you gotta believe that God is the author and God is the finisher of your faith. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me? God's not finished. So many times in life, we get stuck in a chapter because we believe that's the end of the story. It's really not, though. And when we understand that God is the author of our story and that God is able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day, that God is the greatest finisher of all time, we drop the weight of past pain. We put our hands or our life in the hands of God. And we say, God, here's my story. Use it for your glory. And the power of that pain begins to drop away. It doesn't mean you always forget what's happened to you. But I love the story of Joseph. I almost preached on that today. You remember the story of Joseph? His brothers, you know, cause him all the pain. They come before him. And Joseph has the opportunity to pay him back. He says, "He says that's okay. He said, what well, you meant for evil, God has turned it around for good. But do you remember the, the name of Joseph's first child while he was in Egypt, Manasseh? You know what it means? God has caused me to forget. It doesn't mean that his mind was wiped clean. It means that the pain of the past was rendered helpless in his life because he chose to look at his life with God as the author and the finisher of his faith. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are here today. And Father, many people in this place have stories. Many people have been injured and wounded touched by pain that they are carrying around like a weight in their life right now Father I pray today that the veil is lifted from their story I pray today that they can see with the eyes of faith Father that you and through the power of your Holy Spirit would cause them to look back and see your fingerprints all over their life every step of the way Father, we pray that everything right now that the enemy meant to keep them bound would lose its power in their life. Father, we pray that anything that the enemy has touched them with, that has altered their identity, right now would lose its power over their life. Father, we pray that anything that has caused them to be bound, all of the masking that has happened, All of the things that they are using, Lord, to cover up the pain right now would lose its power over their life. Father, that you would come today in this moment, in this time, and set them free. For your word declares, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, today we pray that you would transform their pain into a platform that they will use for your glory and your honor. Father, today we pray that every chain that is holding them down would be loosed in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, today we pray that your glory would just overshadow their life, that your anointing would just touch their life, that every yoke and every bondage would be destroyed from their life, that mental strongholds right now would be cast down in the mighty name of Jesus, that what is running around in their head would not run around anymore but father that their mind and their heart would be firmly fixed on you that they would pray to you not as the God who can just remove their pain but the God who is not finished with their story father I pray that they take their pain that they put it in your hand and that God you would take every bit of their pain and you would use it in such a way Lord that it would make the enemy feel sorry that he ever touched them with these problems father in the name of Jesus Jesus, right now, I preach and I proclaim deliverance over every captive. Set every person free right now that is bound by the pain of of their past. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we speak freedom over their lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare, let them go in Jesus' name. In the mighty name of Jesus, I proclaim liberty for the captive. In the mighty name of Jesus, I proclaim, Lord, that they will will see themselves as a victorious warrior, that they would see themselves as a child of God, that they would see themselves as an overcomer, that they would see themselves as somebody who's not defeated, but somebody who is stronger. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, right now, loose them from everything that's keeping them bound. I pray in the holy and mighty name of Jesus if that prayer ministered to your soul, lift both hands to heaven right now. Father, we declare freedom. Freedom in every place. We will not be prisoners of our past. We will enjoy the present that you've allowed us to experience. This is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. Father, we will not let what has happened yesterday pull us back into those painful moments but we will live in our present Father we will look forward to the wonderful things that you have for our future Father we will look forward to the plans that you have for us to prosper us and not to harm us to plans to give us hope in a future we embrace them with the eyes of faith today and we declare your goodness over every person in the holy and mighty name of Jesus and everybody said Amen and Amen Listen to me. In everybody's story, there is one event, maybe two, that is exactly the same. In everybody's story, one event while we're living, if you count after we leave this earth, two events that we all have in common. The one event that is written in everybody's story is the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. In anticipation of that day, God has penned that portion of your story. Here's how it goes. On such and such a day, this person's sin will be forgiven. On such and such a day, this person will be made brand new. On such and such a day, this person will receive eternal life On such and such a day, this person will be awakened to the destiny and the plan that I have for their life. On such and such a day, this person will become an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. On such and such a day, this person will become my child. I will become their God. They will be my people. I will walk with them. I will talk with them. On this day, I will put the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. They will be uh, my my test testimony. My story will begin to unfold in greater and greater way on such and such a day. Everybody's life has a day written in it where we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. Here's my question for you. Is this your day? Is this the day that God has been waiting to meet you? He knows you. He knows you even before you were born, but this is the day God wants to have relationship with you. He wants you to be free from your sin. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to know that when you die, you'll receive heaven as your home. If you're here today, you don't know where you stand with God, but today you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're at one of our locations. Maybe you're watching on TV. Maybe you're here. say, Pastor, today I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to be made right with him. With no one looking around, just put your hand up so I can pray with you. Pastor, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus today. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you. Pastor, today I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. This prayer will literally change your eternal destiny. Say this out loud with me, everybody praying. Heavenly Father, today I surrender my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I repent. I turn my back on my old way of life. And I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I will never be the same in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, our ushers are going to locate you. They're going to give you a little gift, a book that describes what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. Make sure you take a moment before you leave to just fill out the card. Give it back to us so we can follow up with you and help you in your journey. God bless all of you. Remember, God is not finished with you yet. We'll see you again next week.